Hi, and welcome to the What on Earth Can We Do podcast, the show where we chat with environmental leaders from across Alberta to figure out what on earth we can do to take action against climate change and protect our environment. I'm your host, Bree Hewitt, Communications and Engagement Specialist at the Alberta Emerald Foundation. And today, we're talking about conservation with Michelle Holland from the Canadian Wildlife Federation. Conservation isn't something everyday people usually think about, but it plays a crucial role in protecting all aspects of nature and ensuring that future generations can enjoy all the benefits and beauty it has to offer. There are various types of conservation, but today we're focusing on the topic as a whole. What exactly conservation is, why it's important, how Alberta-based projects are working towards conservation, and how we as individuals can help. Today's guest is no stranger to conservation, as she's dedicated her career to it. Michelle Holland is a youth leadership specialist with Wild Outside, a conservation-based youth leadership program that operates in Calgary and Edmonton. The Wild Outside and Canadian Conservation Corps program was named the recipient at the 31st Annual Emerald Awards in the Public Engagement and Outreach category, sponsored by the City of Calgary. For those of you who haven't heard of the Emerald Awards before, it's an awards program that showcases organizations, projects, and individuals across Alberta who are raising the bar in addressing environmental and climate change issues. Now that you know a little bit more about our guest, let's dive into today's topic. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So my first question before we start chatting about conservation is, can you share a bit more about the work that you do and how it contributes to conservation in the province? So I work for uh, Canadian Wildlife Federation, more specifically in Edmonton, helping to run the Wild Outside program, which is kind of like the sister program of the Canadian Conservation Corps, uh, which is also run by CWF. So in that role, I have the joy of working with 15 to 18 year olds, so that high school age range mostly, um, getting them really excited and developing a conservation ethic as they get to embark in, on t- into their lives, into their careers, and get them excited about outdoor recreation and getting them to feel like leaders and empowered to take action in their communities. Um, anything from weed pulls to removing barbed wire to planting trees. Um, that's what we get to do year round, which is really exciting. Um, And so that piece of the puzzle is a little bit of public education. A lot of our work that we're doing is uh, revolved around that. But then a lot of it is also boots on the ground service work as well. And we're really trying to help to support other community partners, other conservation groups, and other types of community groups that are really making some pretty amazing strides in our cities. And we're just trying to uh, get our youth out there and supporting them as well. Yeah, that's so great. That's a program that I wish when I was a teenager, I could have participated. And I think that would have been such a, a beneficial thing to have on your resume, or even just for, for personal experience and to get out into the outdoors. Absolutely. So Michelle, can you tell me a little bit more about the Canadian Wildlife Federation and the work that you folks are doing across Canada? Yeah, so uh, if you haven't heard of CWF, it's actually one of Canada's largest nonprofit and non-government conservation organizations. So we've been around for a while and we're a big one. Um, so CWF, uh, although we don't focus specifically on owning conservation areas, there is still a lot that the organization is working on. So like our Wild Outside and CCC program that we had won the Emerald Award for, um, that is all support from the government of Canada through their 
Canada Service Corps initiative. So we could not run these programs without uh, the federal government support on that. Um, there's resources for called Wild Education for educators, Wild Family Nature Club, if you're looking for something for your younger families. Um, wild Spaces is what helps get plants into schools and um, also supports our medallion plants at Home Depot. So there's a lot of those kind of like education and public outreach components. Um, and there's also a huge wildlife research and conservation aspect. Now, although I don't work with those teams specifically myself um, all that often, there's some really cool stuff that you can, especially if you follow them on Instagram, you get to see a little bit of all this really cool conservation work. So working with freshwater sea turtles out east, they work with a lot of regional partners um, to really reduce some of those risks to those freshwater sea tur or freshwater turtles, sorry. Uh, things like education, boots on the ground work to help get hatchlings to increase their survival and getting them across the road safely is usually a major issue out there. Um, people might have heard a little bit more about things like uh, our work with Northern uh, North Atlantic right whales. So they're doing a lot of work to really uh, prevent the likelihood of them becoming entangled in fishing gear in Canadian waters. So everything from research to monitoring to advocacy, they're doing a lot of work in that department. Um, and then I already mentioned iNaturalist, which really goes into both education and our wildlife research components. Um, but when it comes down to it, a lot of these initiatives, you might have heard that we, you know, there's a lot of people and groups that we mentioned, and community partnerships are so incredibly key. Uh, making sure that we're not duplicating work or making more work for another organization um, and helping to support other people's goals is a huge, huge part of the program, especially with Wild Outside. Uh, the majority of the work that we do is really in partnership with other organizations. Um, but also at the same time, we have to keep in mind that a lot of these, and actually I would say all of these initiatives are trying to make strides so that people, no matter their age, ability level, culture, race, gender, or financial capacity, have ways to engage in conservation in the outdoors. Uh, and that's, I think one thing I would love for people to take away is that conservation in the outdoors is not for a elite group. It is not for <laughs> just this subgroup of people. It is really there. It is our mother nature and it is our chance to, for everyone to go out and explore. Um, and there are a lot of resources out there to make that transition a little bit easier. Uh, a lot of other ways that you can, you can build community out there, but yeah, the nature and outdoors is really meant for all of us. So um, yeah, don't let those maybe those uh those goggles of like maybe what you think uh the outdoors are um kind of persuade you against going outdoors because it's it's meant for all of us yeah that's something that i loved when you when the canadian wildlife federation submitted their application for the emerald awards knowing that wild outside is a free program and it just makes it accessible to people who might not otherwise be able to get outdoors and i think that as time is going on, the outdoors can is increasingly getting less and less accessible with, you know, additional fees and gas is getting expensive and being able to drive to these natural places in the mountains and other areas, it's, it's not as accessible. So I think that having programs that offer that accessibility is absolutely key to our fight for on climate change and for advancing conservation in, in Canada and in the province. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah that free component and just um, creating opportunities. So these are one, like, especially with Wild Outside, we find a lot of our teenagers 
just don't really know where to go because they can't volunteer with a lot of organizations yet because they're not 18. Um, and th so that becomes a major hurdle and they just don't know where to look. So we're really happy that we have an organization where we can point them in the right direction, give them recommendations for things like post-secondary, where they can go and volunteer, what other fun things are happening in the city. Um, there's a lot happening, like, hey, even just saying there's this cool event happening at the zoo that focuses on conservation, go check it out. Um, that all, sometimes all they need is just like a little bit of an encouragement and a little bit of, here's the information, do with it what you will, but we're here to support you um, and go and find things that you're really interested in and really um, kind of get your passions all fired up when you're outside. So for the average person, how would you explain conservation if, if they'd never heard of the topic before? All right, so if you've never heard of conservation, um, I just want you to visualize the last time you walked past an area of green space. So whether that was like out on a camping trip, maybe you're out in the mountains, or maybe you're just walking around um, in our river valley, or maybe you got to enjoy um, places like Wagner Natural Area and things like that. Um, those are all areas where conservation is very likely at play. So where there are natural areas that we want to protect and manage, um, that's where conservation is taking place. So that could be anything around land, air, or water. It's a really big umbrella. Um, and all of that biodiversity that it supports as well. So um, if you see areas as well, they look like they might need a bit of a helping hand. Maybe it looks like they need to have trees replanted or maybe they're contaminated in some way, or maybe there's invasive plants. That also is in the realm of conservation as well. So it's not just protecting, it also goes into the realm of restoring as well. Um, and yeah, we just want people to know that conservation is not just out there in the mountains and the national parks. Uh, conservation is really at play all around us. Uh, there's a lot of organizations, municipalities, um, nonprofit conservation groups. There are land trusts, lots of different people that are trying to um, put conservation into play and on our landscape. Um, but I also want people to understand that conservation is also not just about sticking a label on a piece of land and calling it a day. There is so much more going on in that big picture to really make it work well and to really make it worth, to be honest, a large investment of time and money that goes into those. So we have laws and rules that help protect it. We have to continually monitor these areas, continually managing restoring any negative impacts, creating opportunities to go for people to go out and learn and actually engage in those areas. So there's a, a lot going on behind the scenes that maybe you don't see when you're just walking by it on a nice walk. Um, and then a little bit more behind the scenes as well, there are people working really hard to make sure that education campaigns and the younger generations also have a chance to experience and engage in those landscapes. There's management plans being made up. There's fundraising campaigns being done. So there's a lot going on than more than just, you know, you're welcome to this conservation area sign that you see. Totally. Sometimes you'll walk into like, I think Larch Sanctuary in Edmonton. That's, that's one of the conservation areas that we actually visited together to film your Emerald documentary series video. And, and when you walk in there or walk in there, I guess it's the outdoors when you get there and you realize that it's a conservation area, you don't necessarily put all of the pieces of the puzzle together like you're talking about. So it's, I think it's so important for people to know that, yeah, there's so much more going on. Uh, you walk in there and it looks, you're like, wow, this is a really great area. It feels really 
natural and you know it is natural it's saying to the degree of which it would have been maybe not <laughs> hundreds of years ago but we're protecting it and conserving it for future generations so I sometimes people walk in there and they don't see all of the work that's going on behind the scenes so it's great to know that that's happening and 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 with that in mind like my, my next question is obviously conservation is such a huge broad topic uh, and there's lots of different types of conservation that exist. Can you maybe touch on some of the different types of conservation and maybe what conservation work wild outside takes part in and what some examples of that are? Yeah, so types of conservation, I mean, us humans love to like categorize things and put things into little neat baskets. So there's a lot of different ways that we can actually categorize conservation. So usually the big overarching ones that you'll really see is usually like an environmental or habitat conservation. Um, so that's like our conservation lands that we go and see. Um, you have usually marine conservation is actually usually kept in its own separate bubble because bubble, that's such a unique niche. Um, and then there's usually wildlife conservation where people are uh, still dealing with habitat, but more so on things like endangered species. So um, those are usually the three kind of general topics that people work on. With that being kept in mind, there's also this idea that conservation might just be like the natural habitat as it exists out in nature. We call it in situ conservation. So um, if you go out to the national parks, that would be an example of in situ. It's the way it should be. It's out in its regular context um, when the natural processes kind of naturally occur. But there's also ex situ conservation. And if you live in a city, so if you live in Edmonton or Calgary, especially, you'll see this where there's places like zoos and botanic gardens, seed banks, things like that, that are also doing conservation work. It might not be maybe directly on the landscape in the way that we would traditionally think about it, but they are still doing incredible work to help protect our wildlife and our habitats as well. And even within that group, even things like our backyards, I mean, those are meant to be kind of developed areas, and yet people are working hard to bring biodiversity back to those areas. So it depends on which side of the fence you want to play. It could be in you or ex-situ conservation, but um, all of those little bits also have a role to play in that bigger picture as well. Um, so our Wild Outside program, we get to kind of touch on a lot of it. Um, we're not near an ocean, so marine conservation is hard. Um, but for our teams that are out, out east in our Vancouver team, they definitely get a lot more of those types of experiences and our youth have a chance to learn from those teams as well. Um, and then a lot of those kind of more in-situ conservation, like I said, where our youth are doing a lot of boots on the ground conservation. So things like black knot removal, getting rid of barbed wire, um, planting new shrubs, shrubs and trees, some of which create like things like food forests, um, all sorts of really kind of um, kind of small bits and pieces that slowly incrementally work up. And I think that's the big thing to keep in mind is that um, it's all these little steps working together that really makes conservation work. So um, there's all these things that we're trying to do boots on the ground, but the reality is, is that education and public engagement within conservation, it doesn't necessarily have its own category, but it definitely impacts all of those areas of conservation. Um, and it's maybe something that might be a little bit more hidden. A, a lot of our youth that we talk to aren't, aren't even aware that environmental education 
is a field that they can even go into. So uh, we love just opening their eyes to that whole new world that yes, conservation means that you need to also engage with the public and you need to teach the public. Um, and lastly, I also want to touch on and one that is really wonderful to see it as an up and coming trend um, in terms of people making a highlight of it, not up and coming trend in terms of how long it's been around. And that's the seven generation principle. So we're seeing a lot more organizations focusing on this and being inspired and mirroring that conservation from our um, indigenous peoples on our landscape and being able to, to take a little bit of their knowledge and maybe not take, but being inspired by it um, and use that perspective and their use of traditional knowledge to really shape um, conservation to be not just like a day at a time, but as a long-term sustainability goal that we are really thinking seven generations into the future uh, when we're doing this work and not just how can we make this land better for tomorrow, it's how do we make this better for seven generations down the line. Yeah, I think that seven generation principle piece is is so important and it was built into and is built into the Emerald Award nomination form. We, we want to know that the work that's happening in the province is not just going to benefit people tomorrow, but it's going to benefit people who are going to be alive even when we are not. And I think that's conservation. That's one of the key, the key pieces to it. And I think it's, it's already built into conservation without us even thinking about it. So that's why I think it's such an interesting topic and something that people need to know more about because even conservation, it will affect us tomorrow. It'll affect us a year from now and 10 years from now, but also seven generations into the future. So it affects everybody. And I think that's, that's why it's so beautiful and important for us to continue to do and to, and to fund and educate people about. I always like to think of it as we all have these, uh, hopefully we have these memories of some place we went when we were a kid, whether that's in our own city or elsewhere, um, in the world as we explore and you have like this mental at least idea have this mental snapshot of this beautiful place um and that can be a really strong motivator for people as well to to make sure that those areas are protected for further generations that knowing that your great-grandchildren will be able to also enjoy camping they're going out on the hike or stargazing in those areas so um, a lot of the work now, yeah, is definitely getting a little bit more of that long-term focus, which some organizations have been doing for a long, long time, creating very long-term management plans. Um, like our forestry industry has definitely been doing that for quite some time, but it's interesting now to see a shift of all, all sorts of environmentally touching organizations focusing on that aspect of sustainability, which is really nice to see. We'll be right back after a quick message from our sponsor. Contain the unreturned. Last year, more than 400 million of Alberta's empties got lost on their way to the depot and became the unreturned. Your mission, and you should accept it, is to contain the unreturned. Bring your empties to the depot. We, we chatted about, you know, a brief intro to conservation, what type of conservation exists. And I think the most important question is, is why is conservation so important? We kind of chatted about it on how seven generations into the future, the land will look similar or hopefully, hopefully will. But how else uh, is conservation important? How does it relate to climate change, perhaps? 
when it comes down to it, when we're talking about nature, we're talking about our natural environment in which we are all a part of, even if there's on days when we're in a concrete jungle, it might not feel like it. The reality is, is that the natural world that we are surrounded by is also a part of us. Nature feeds us. It inspires us. It allows us to keep living on this planet. So conservation really is that focus um, on the things that we can really do to ensure that us and those future generations can continue to really enjoy those spots, learn from those um, areas, and also embrace all those benefits that nature brings uh, much, much further into the future. Especially in Canada, we're noticing a really big shift into these conservation areas as being a really key component to our fight against climate change. These areas are doing carbon sequestration for free for me, for us really. So um, they're doing an enormous ecological service for us. Um, and also these areas are helping with things like flood prevention, um, having those wetland areas that can act like a sponge during our rainstorms and then slowly release so they're not gonna flood our basements. Um, and then just the human mental health component, I think during uh, the pandemic, we've seen definitely a major shift to the outdoors. Now, what, whether that was because there was nothing else to do because everything else was shut down, um, I'm happy about it either way. If it got people outside, I'm happy about it. So um, the mental health benefits of spending time outdoors has been researched and documented time and time again, that even just a short bout, you know, just in a little greenway by your house or walk around a constructed wetland, if that's all you have access to, that is totally fine. Um, those areas are also being conserved and those ones are also there for your human enjoyment and for your mental health. So go out and soak it all in. So there's um, a lot of, we could probably do a whole podcast on the, <laughs> on the whole importance of conservation, but the reality is, is that protecting natural areas is going to have direct positive benefits to us as well. Um, so the more we know about that, the more that we, we're aware of those, then maybe people might be a little bit more inclined to actually want to protect those areas as well. Yeah, I, I think that that mental health piece is something that's so tangible and approachable for people to connect with conservation. You know, most people don't know that those wetland areas can help be, uh, can soak up, I don't know exactly how you said it, but, you know, keep our basements from flooding. Most people don't know that. Most people, or some people might know that, you know, Trees are sequestering carbon for us for free, but I think the one thing that people really understand is the benefits mentally that nature offers us. And if even that is the one reason why people want to conserve their natural areas, I think that's, that's a good enough reason and, and we'll leave it at that. But, but yeah, just to know that there are so many benefits, but one of the most tangible for people is their mental health, which I think is, which is great and definitely Teenagers specifically and young adults with the CCC program, we see that this is a huge draw for people. Uh, we see a lot of timid behavior to like want to engage in groups again, which is totally fair. Um, we also see this timidness to even go out to these areas that people might not know about. But we find that people are willing to take that one little step, maybe outside their comfort bubble. Uh, we see immediate impacts. So we have youth who have been out to one event and they're like, I'm coming out just so that I can have an excuse and a purpose for going outside and just breathing in some fresh air and looking at some trees. And I also think that mental health component leads itself really wonderfully to, um, to a sense of community, finding other people who really enjoy the outdoors 
or other people who are just starting their outdoor journey as well. Um, it can be a really powerful place to, you know, like you don't need to worry about um, COVID nearly as much when you're outdoors. So having group gatherings outside is a nice safe option. Um, and it's just a nice place to kind of build some community as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that some of the most fantastic times I've ever had in my life were with in a community setting outdoors. And I think that there's something so calming and just approachable about taking time and being with the trees and with the mountains. And I think that when, whenever I come back from being in natural spaces, I feel much more relaxed, ready to take on another week, uh, and, and ready to, yeah, to take on some big challenges. So that's, I like that connection between yeah, conservation and mental health and natural spaces. And I know you touched a little bit on it earlier, talking about people doing some conservation in their backyards. But on that note, do you have any suggestions on how an everyday Albertan or Canadian or people across the globe can participate in conservation in their own lives? Yeah, there is uh, a lot you can actually do on your own time that maybe people aren't aware of. Uh, I know that conservation can sometimes feel like it's this big thing, this other, this thing that big organizations have to deal with, but not myself. So what I always encourage for people who are looking to make that step, um, the first thing is that we can't actually act or protect or appreciate the things that we don't know or understand. Um, so that is our baseline. Get out there um, and take the time to really appreciate and spend time in these kind of conservation areas, whatever that looks like for you in your in your capacity um, and taking time to learn from those areas. A lot of places will have kind of infographic boards or they'll have online resources or sometimes even like guided tours and programs that you can engage with. So that basic, just get out and explore and seek to understand and seek to just soak in those experiences can actually do a lot more for conservation than you might actually realize. Um, once you're out there, once you're having some fun, um, there's a couple of tools. So if you're in major municipalities like Edmonton and Calgary, doing a litter cleanup, you can literally do in those, you know, a sidewalk around a pond, like you can do that on your own time. Um, you don't need permission if it's, as long as it's public property or your own, you're good, go for it. So litter cleanups are really easy. Um, making your yard wildlife friendly. So um, CWF has resources on that as well. But whether that be installing um, actually correct and helpful bee hotels or nest boxes, um, planting wildlife friendly flowers and things like that, that's a really easy thing for you to do. Um, CWF actually has these things called medallion plants that they sell at Home Depot every year. Um, that are friendly for our pollinators. You don't have to worry about any sort of insecticides that would help or harm them, sorry. Um, things like that make it really easy. And then if you wanna go out and explore a little bit more, the one tool that I love to share about is called iNaturalist. So this is a nationwide citizen science app. It's free, which is incredible. Here in Canada, it's actually run by Canadian Wildlife Federation. Yes, I said in Canada, it is run in many, many countries around the world, um, but it allows you to actually help, um, helps people to ID the things that they're finding in nature. So that could be anything from a piece of moss to a duck, to a bird, to a flower, to like even this, you know, kind of 
dead looking stem in the winter, it can help you with that as well. Um, and then it takes that data and actually compiles it so that we know where biodiversity is occurring across our country. So researchers and land managers can also use that. So a two-sided coin, you get to learn. And then at the same time, you're contributing to science and data collection here in Canada, which is pretty incredible. The last one I want to also put in there is for those people who want to like go the next step where you, you've done the iNaturalist thing, you go out and explore a whole lot, but you really want to make like more boots on the ground action in your community. Last thing I would say is search out volunteer opportunities. A lot of the conservation groups in our areas are these nonprofit organizations. Some of them are quite small and having the, the people power on the land is usually an area that they really need help with. So, um, Organizations like uh, Nature Conservancy of Canada, or NCC. Uh, in Edmonton, we have the Edmonton Area Land Trust, um, places like the City of Edmonton, um, and even like our Wild Outside program. We're always looking for volunteers that can come out and support a little bit more boots on the ground and education efforts as well. Um, so research what's in your community and what kind of events are coming up. And that's also a really great hub to create community as well. And I still have a lot of longtime friends that I got from just volunteering on my free time. Those are such amazing tips. And I think there's a broad spectrum of something for someone who's never thought about conservation before and some other tips for people who have maybe been introduced to it and want to do a bit more with it. So those are fantastic. And I, I like knowing that I never made the connection there for some reason that doing a litter pickup was, was great for conservation. And that's something that I think everyone has access to their hands and a garbage bag. So I think that's my favorite tip to come out of, uh, come out of this piece of the podcast. So that this has been such a great conversation. And, and I think that people are going to leave. I hope people leave with a lot more knowledge on conservation and some tangible tools that they can use in their own lives to, to grow their conservation ethics. So thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us on the podcast today and I hope you have a great rest of your night thank you so much and yeah thank you everyone for listening in at the podcast today and um, yeah check out CWF if you want to learn more we have tons of resources online thanks for listening to this week's episode I hope you learn more about conservation and some ways that you can work towards conservation in your own life if you'd like to learn more check out the resources in the show notes in our next episode, we'll be joined by Gersh Ball and Kai Ferion, co-CEOs of Zeno Renewables, to chat about solar energy. Make sure to click the subscribe button to get notified when we post the episode. The What on Earth Can We Do podcast is a program of the Alberta Emerald Foundation, a nonprofit charity that showcases, inspires, and empowers Alberta's environmental achievements. To learn more about the Alberta Emerald Foundation, head to our website, emeraldfoundation.ca, or follow us on social media at Alberta Emerald. A big thank you to our sponsors, the City of Edmonton, the Government of Alberta, Syncrude operated by Sencor, Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation and Beverage Container Management Board, Capital Power, the City of Calgary, Dow Canada, and the Alberta Forest Products Association.